when many of us were growing up, there was one girl hero who shone brighter than them all. Sailor Moon. A Japanese TV show and epic manga series landed in the United States in the early 90s and promptly won the hearts of millions. The main characters are all schoolgirls who transform into awesome and super feminine crime-fighting heroes to fight intergalactic baddies, try to track down a space princess, and save the solar system from destruction. Moon years ago, the forces behind Sailor Moon announced two big things for fans. The anime would be rebooted with all new episodes, plus the original show would be available uncensored for the first time to English-speaking audiences. In the original airing of the show in the United States, the show's queer storylines were cut out. In the original Japanese version, Sailors Neptune and Uranus were girlfriends. But in the American version, they're just cousins who love each other in a totally platonic way. One person who grew up watching Sailor Moon is writer and chef Soleil Ho. These days, she's the executive chef at Northlight in Portland, where she cooks up dishes like banh mi french fries and a highbrow filet fish Welcome to the show, Soleil. It's not that highbrow. It's $12. <laughs> Thank you. Where she cooks up $12 versions of filet fish It looked really good. It looked Thank really you. good. It's got like American cheese on top. Yeah, it's authentic American cheese. Wow. <laughs> Authentic American cheese is um, such an exciting experience. Yeah, we don't fuck around. <laughs> um, do you still love Sailor Moon? You grew up watching the show. I do. Um, I think 80 to 100% of it is nostalgia. Mm -hmm. I don't actually participate in any way with Sailor Moon. I just look at pretty pictures sometimes on the internet, which is really not that different from how I used to participate in it when I was 11. So... I guess it's all the same. And you're here to share an essay with us about growing up on Sailor Moon. Um, this essay was originally published in Interrupt magazine. Can you tell me about wanting to write this essay? What were you trying to work through when you started writing it? I think what happened was I was looking through my hard drive and I found a scan that I made of a drawing I, I made by taping tracing paper to my TV. I talk about this in the essay, but I found a scan of it and I remembered all of a sudden all these things. Um, and I just wrote an essay about it. Great. Well, let's hear it. Um, let's just launch into it. All right. The title is Girl Power. This is what I remember from my childhood, pressing my plump cheeks against a window, watching my father step into a taxi with a single blue duffel bag, the smell of New York City in the rain, and Sailor Moon. My life began in 1995, the year I turned eight and became a divorced kid. From that year onward, until I turned 13, my sister and I were shuffled between my mother's apartment in New York City and my paternal grandparents' condominium in West Orange, New Jersey, every other weekend for the purpose of fulfilling the visitation requirements of our parents' divorce settlement. Our time at my father's home, which he shared with his deeply Catholic relatives, was unstructured and pointless. I must have spent hours pinching the loose skin on the back of my great-grandmother's hands while she watched Vietnamese soap operas during the day. It was either that or braving the living room, where one aunt or another would find me and tell me that I was getting too chubby from all that American pizza. I knew, little girl that I was, that putting up with all of this was my only option. I realized this the moment I found my father packing his bag in my parents' bedroom and found the edges of his brown eyes engraved with deep grooves, 
like a fresh-dug irrigation system. He wanted me to beg him to stay, but I simply blinked and walked away. I knew then that something important to my family was in motion and that my feelings had no place in it. I am Sailor Moon. I will right wrongs and triumph over evil. And that means you. Drawn by its gender-appropriate pink box and sparkly text, my father gave me a VHS tape of Sailor Moon episodes during one of our visits. I expected to hate it, just as I hated his other sad, insipid gifts. Jeans two sizes too small, mechanical pencils, lacy ribbons for my knotted hair. Nevertheless, I grabbed my toddler sister and a bowl of potato chips from the kitchen and locked our bedroom door behind us to watch it. Now that I'm an adult, describing Sailor Moon to other people can be a little embarrassing, since the simple act of talking about the show probably makes me look like a sweaty nerd. But here's the deal. The character of Sailor Moon is a magical girl who goes to middle school by day and uses miraculous powers to battle evildoers from outer space by night. Everything about her is feminine, from her pleated miniskirt to the sparkling backdrop of her transformation sequence. What's really fascinating about her is the fact that she's clumsy, gluttonous, a crybaby, an F-student, and as boy-crazy as a cat in heat throughout the first season. Despite all of her personal shortcomings, she dedicates her life to fighting for, as she puts it, love and justice. During all of my subsequent visits, I would watch the show in that room in my grandparents' basement. When I ran out of new episodes, I would start all over again from the beginning. This was a world where girls were fighters, where they could eat all the food they wanted, where they could cry. On our hour-long drives back to our mother's apartment, my father would ask us, Do you think your mom loves you as much as I do? My wish to join Sailor Moon became so insistent that I resorted to desperate measures to lengthen my visits. I would pause the videos from my bed during close-ups of my favorite characters' faces and stare at the frozen pictures marred by icy horizontal lines. Eventually, I came up with a solution for the dreadful intervals during which access to the television was compromised. In addition to pausing the videos, I began to tape large sheets of tracing paper to the screen and trace the images so they could keep me company in corporeal form. I would keep at least one folded up in my pocket during Mass, moving it between my fingers for comfort, like a paper rosary bead. Back home in New York City, my friends were beginning to talk about this thing called girl power. Well, not so much talking about it, as shouting the phrase whenever they got excited about anything. My best friend and fellow divorced kid, Samantha, introduced me to the concept. It just means that when girls do something, it's better because we're girls. She would usually conclude such statements with cartwheels, no matter where we were. The Spice Girls filled me in on the rest of the idea. At their peak in 1997, the Spice Girls infected the globe with their brand of girl power, which is a slippery idea that, thanks to its broad marketing, is hard to define without resorting to punchily punctuated buzzwords and phrases. Individuality, success, cat suits, sexiness, kicking ass, record deals, femininity, image management, independence. It's a particularly abstract take on empowerment feminism, which is a philosophy that, as Samantha pointed out to me, reconfigures any and all actions taken by women into feminist victories. According to the tenets of Our Ladies of Spice, Madonna is girl power, Margaret Thatcher is girl power, Rachel Ray is girl power, Phyllis Schlafly is girl power. I am, therefore I am powerful. I remember someone asking Samantha, who had quickly become the resident girl power evangelist. Can grown-ups have girl power? 
since the Spice Girls were all obviously adult women, it became easy to deduce that being a girl was something eternal that you would never discard. When I heard her say this, my back muscles tightened. So no matter how old I got, would I be a girl forever? Every time someone calls me a girl or yells, hey baby girl, at me on the street, I remember what Samantha said. I continually have to remind myself that I am a comfortable number of years older than 18, that by all quantifiable measures, I am a woman. And yet, the funny thing about the Spice Girls is that the five of them all went by reductive aliases, mostly adjectives, sporty, scary, posh, baby, and ginger. The object of this branding was to make their personality simple to understand and as accessible to young girls as possible. Samantha decided early on that she was Sporty Spice, which only served to increase the frequency of her cartwheels. But I had a hard time deciding for myself, since there wasn't, as far as I could tell, a Smarty Spice. My father, who was a hairstylist, used to insist on grooming my sister and I while we visited him. All the particularity that I see in myself was reflected in those moments when he evened out bangs aligned between his fingers, peeked into the shower to make sure that I was shampooing correctly, and shaped my hair into nauseatingly girlish sculptures that made me look like a Vietnamese Cindy Brady. It seemed to get worse as time went on, and I progressed further and further away from his vision of me. Despite his lack of control over the war, he acted as if each strand of my hair that he cut was a redrawing of the battlefield between himself and my mother. We never really considered why we wanted to be any of the Spice Girls in the first place. Girl power isn't a very potent magic. Just because we started encanting it didn't mean that our single mothers would have an easier time taking care of us. Girl power wouldn't save us from being hurt by people we loved. It wouldn't stop our relatives from pinching our bellies and sucking their teeth. The spell couldn't block out the sound of being raped. As I grew and learned and suffered, I started to wonder at what point would playing pretend transform into something real? Shortly before I entered high school, I made the conscious decision to cut my father out of my life entirely. It was simple. My mom asked me to give him our new address and home phone number after a move, and I didn't. It didn't matter to me that my sister may have needed a dad, or that my father may have needed his daughters. I just didn't think I would be able to grow up as long as I felt like a divorced kid. Living as a person who just incidentally didn't have a father seemed like a much easier proposition. I didn't want to be a girl anymore, but I wasn't yet sure what a woman was supposed to be. My mother was beautiful, too beautiful, for me to even imagine us as being part of the same species. Instead, my mind moved towards my favorite Sailor Moon character, Sailor Uranus. When she isn't fighting the bad guys, she dresses in men's clothing and dates a feminine woman. In the American version of the show, she and her partner are identified as cousins, although they certainly don't act like I do with my relatives. I wanted to be strong and handsome like her, and I identified with her inability to trust other people, especially men. She was all of that, and yet she was a girl. From a young age, I was drawn to the mysterious contradiction of her body, which seemed so impossible to achieve in my helpless childhood. So, here's that kid logic again. I tried to abandon my gender entirely. After school, I would sit in Union Square Park and watch the skateboard kids lurch around the asphalt in their blunt sneakers and backwards caps for hours, self-consciously rotating my shoulders to mimic their movements. On the way to the train, I shadowed the most masculine men I could find and made my gait as wide as theirs. 
I kissed girls and enjoyed the voyeurism of swimming in their shameless softness. One day, after school, I stopped at Walgreens and spent a week's worth of lunch money on self-adhesive ace bandages. The next morning, I got up early and launched a full-scale assault on my bare chest, beating its swollen ridges and mounds into a flat, pleasing surface. I sequestered my shoulder-length hair into a baseball cap and hardened my stare. As I walked out the front door, I wondered if this was how empowerment felt. The minute, needling sensation of other people's gazes was gone. I could barely breathe, but I was too engrossed in my freedom to care. When I got home from school, I rushed into my room and pulled off my shirt. My skin was slick from sweat, but the bandage was as tight as it was that morning. I grabbed the end of it and slowly began to pull. When I arrived at the edge of where the loose end met my skin, I hesitated, testing the strength of the bandage's glue with a gentle tug. The newly freed skin turned pink and began to prickle. I paced the seven-foot length of my room like a stressed dog. My constricted lungs tried to take in what little air they could. For a moment, I considered leaving the bandage on. I just didn't want to be a boy that badly. I sat on my bed and pulled hard. The edges of my vision turned fuzzy and white, but I kept pulling, ripping, tearing off raw centimeters of blinding pain. My father's family owns a hair and nail salon in New Jersey. He took us there once, and while I took care of some papers, I watched my aunt apply hot wax and paper to a customer's legs. Every time she pulled off a patch of hair, the woman's back arched nearly imperceptibly off her polyester-lined chair. Perhaps one of the most important differences between Sailor Moon and the Spice Girls is the fact that there are no villains in the world of the latter. It makes sense. If the problem with being a girl is simply a matter of rebranding, the onus is on the girl to adjust her bad attitude. In their lively music videos, the Spice Girls kick and punch empty air. This, I suspect, is connected to the way many of us conceive of feminism as being entirely an issue of empowerment and representation, which are oppressions that can exist conveniently without oppressors. Far from being a radical idea, girl power is an ideology that ignores structural power relationships in favor of endless self-reprobation. It is feminism birthed and nourished by the individualistic and antisocial legacies of Margaret Thatcher and Ronald Reagan, both people for whom the idea of powerlessness was heretical. In her book, The Sex Which Is Not One, French philosopher Luce Irigure warns, if feminists aim simply for a change in the distribution of power, leaving intact the power structure itself, then they are resubjecting themselves, deliberately or not, to a phallocratic order. This idea is equivalent to, say, arguing for more representative hiring practices in prisons without critiquing the premise of the prison itself, or abandoning one's gender and embracing another purely out of a sense of internalized misogyny. I realize now that being a girl, or even identifying as one, as the case may be, is one of the hardest roles one can inhabit in this world. A girl is supposed to be so many things. Attractive, graceful, polite, quiet, valuable, valueless. But none of those traits guarantee that she'll be taken seriously as a thinking and feeling human being. On the other hand, the absence of those traits can often invite violence, or at the very least, judgment. When we say that all girls are powerful, we often refrain from explaining just what kind of power we're talking about. It could be the power to eat Cheetos if they want to, or the power to govern their own bodies. Though, on the whole, the people in charge of their lives hardly trust them to do either of those things. The power that I want girls to have certainly includes that, but also something else entirely. Many of the villains in Sailor Moon 
are obviously misogynists and prey on everyday young girls, but they're also typed as adults and often as women. Drawing breasts onto an animated monster opens up a visual metaphor that tells us that Sailor Moon isn't just fighting aliens, but a world of adults who want to destroy everything beautiful in girls. In order to save the people she loves, she fights and gets hurt and breaks down and even completely fails at times. And when she can manage it, she tries to save the monsters too. In the meantime, I'll be waiting for her to appear at my window. In my last letter to my father, written and destroyed a little more than a month ago, I asked, will I ever be able to think about you without instantly wanting to disappear? That was Soleil Ho. Look her up at soleilho.tumblr.com for more of her writing and her delicious banh mi fries. 